Yeah, well, Slytherins love Hufflepuffs. It's like a, it's a true thing. It's their, it's their like emotional support <laughs> Hufflepuff. Oh, oh no! Because Hufflepuffs help Slytherins with the the emotions that they don't know how to handle <laughs> or articulate or don't want to in public. Oh no! Where's my emotional support buff? Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to ruse your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Deanna. Welcome to another morning of uh, ladies talking about ladies. Here at Good Witches bad bitches what do we talk about deanna every week we talk about a different lady or two who existed in real life yeah yeah and did cool shit sometimes not cool shit but fun to talk about shit Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a little more layered than that but like onions like onions exactly exactly uh well it's warm here. It's warm. Welcome to spring. Welcome spring to spring. is sprung. <laughs> My nose is a little runny, even though I don't get allergies, which tells me it's quite pollinated out there. I've been sneezing a lot. Mm. Do you get allergies? Sometimes. Like some years? It's Yeah, it's kind of in, in, I don't know. I, I don't know specifically what it is, but I, I know I'm allergic as shit to cottonwoods. I hate cottonwoods with a oh. fiery passion. They have a lot of little particles. Oh, yeah. So that oh, makes yeah. sense. They just go poof and release all this fucking white shit into the air <laughs> that's just like made to make me miserable. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Cool. But uh, anyway, our energy level is in that sort of popping out of the the dirt to say hello to the sun and being a little bewildered because mm-hmm. we were in the dark, mm-hmm. but feeling good. Yes. But bewildered. Like, where am I? What am I doing? Oh, I don't know, but I'm happy to be here. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Because it's spring. I had a migraine yesterday, and so I'm still... You had still, a bad migraine. Yeah, it was not fun. But I, I'm, like, now in the post-migraine kind of fogginess. So I'm yeah. <laughs> just, like, I've had three cups of coffee, and I still don't quite know what's going on. Three cups of coffee. I've had a lot I'm still on number coffee. one. Yes. But we had cold brew, which is like pretty concentrated. So, you know. You have something you want to read to me. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't give a flying fuck about the royal family. Um, I tried to watch. But I do. And we've talked about it on this podcast. I tried to watch The Crown and I just couldn't really get into it. But Uh, you love it. It's so good. And Olivia Coleman is going to be in the next season. Shit, man. I mean, that's that is incentive because she's brilliant. Yeah. And so is Claire Foy. So how dare you? I'm sorry. It's not that she's not brilliant. It's that the whole subject matter is just not interesting to me. However. I'm, not I, okay. I'm just really annoyed. With you. <laughs> I know you are. Um, <laughs> Great storytelling. Fascinating character study. I believe you. I'll take your word for Very it. Very expensive production. Well, why? What's the point in that? Why spend your money making a movie slash TV show? That isn't all that interesting. Fuck you. B 
because you want to have it like the costumes look right and you want to have the housing look right the sets are beautiful the costumes are amazing girl i'm with you okay anyway i totally you don't give a flying fuck about the royal family but you sent me something that i didn't know about yeah um and so i'm gonna read it because i do think it's kind of well to me it's kind of funny but maybe not because it's actual people's lives i haven't seen it at all on any news media outlets yes and i think that's by design yes i think the royal royal family is trying to suppress a lot of this stuff so i found um i came across a twitter thread a couple of days ago and the writer is nicole cliff who is she writes for a lot of different outlets slate vulture l catapult the guardian etc and she wrote a thread about the current possible royal scandal and i was like whoa royal scandal what are you talking about and so i'm gonna read it to you she's she goes would it be helpful for me to explain the current royal scandal with a great deal of personal editorializing the answer is yes She says, so last week, The Sun ran a very odd piece about how Kate and Wills had broken up with their uh, best couple friends, the Chumleys. It's spelled C-H-O-L-M-O-N-D-E-L-E-S. So how would you say it if you just saw that? Chalmondeles. And it's pronounced Chumley because Mm -hmm. British people are fucking weird. (laughs) Gloucester. 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 So um, the piece included the phrase rural rival. That's Say that 20 times fast. Rural rival. Rural rival. Rural juror. Rural rival. So, yeah. Rural, rural rival. Oh, which, boy. Uh, was the only indication that there was a real story here. The Chumleys are Rose, a former model, and Rose's husband, much older, very rich, very appropriate to be friends with the Cambridges, who are the who are William and Kate. Right. So Wills and Kate flipped, and the son got one of those more serious warnings. There is no story here. Back the fuck off. The story, as it began to spool out, especially among U.S. gossip places who have no reason to need to remain in the good books of the palace, um, is that Wills got caught having an actual affair with Rose, and Kate severed the social connection with more verve than is her usual style. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Giles Corrin tweeted and deleted how impish, (laughs) I love her editorializing, that the affair has been common news for months if you are a fancy person like himself. The source for the story is widely supposed to be Rose running her mouth about it to her friends, which I get because what's the fun in sleeping with a bald prince if you can't tell your friends? (laughs) Ouch. Yikes. Um... Now, I have never been a huge Kate person, but obviously to have an affair with perhaps her closest friend out in the sticks, slash, you know, the posh sticks, is disgusting and cruel and not a mistake that Philip would ever have made. Now, tell me, who's Philip? Uh, The Queen's husband. Okay. And is he, who is he to Prince William? His grandfather. His grandfather. Okay. Here's where my personal editorializing kicks in. No, I think you've been doing this for a little while. Uh, this is the actual reason that Wills and Harry have been, quote, frosty for the last several months. Right, because that's been allegedly a thing, and people are trying to say it's about the Megan and, and Kate not liking each other for some reason. Which, obviously, that was news to me, too, so I had to kind of look into that a little bit. I was like, what? The prince and his brother are, like, 
not uh, not speaking somehow. So she says it has it's had nothing to do with Megan. Wills would absolutely have told Harry about the affair because of because of how those two are. And I think that Harry was like, this is exactly what ruined our childhoods. Yep. This is pulling some dad shit. You have three small children. What the fuck? Because Wills very definitely had been telling Harry for ages before he proposed to Megan, quote, this is moving too fast. Are you sure? Etc. And so this would really stick in Harry's craw. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, because the tabloids have pegged the source of the frostiness on Megan and her not getting along with Kate or her being rude to Kate's staff, and Harry has had to sit on his hands while the tabloids run countless stories blaming his pregnant wife for what's actually been his own beef with his brother. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And Harry could and would very obviously not drop his brother and closest friend in the shit by tweaking the narrative towards the truth. He and Megan just had to take it. He's like trapped. He's Mm -hmm. like, I can't defend my wife, my very pregnant wife, who I love very much. Because by doing so, I would throw my brother, who is third, no, second in line to the throne. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Under the bus. And that would also be shitty. Yep. For everybody. Um, She goes on. Wills waited years to marry Kate, waited until his hair was gone and his beauty passed because he didn't want to be his father. The closest he's come to his own scandal was when he was off dad dancing at the club while Kate attended some solemn festivity without him. Dad dancing. (laughs) Dad dancing. And the expectation of the Cambridge family is that William and Kate are staying together, which I think is accurate despite the affair. Oh, yeah. And having their growing family and radiating stability in a monarchy which desperately needs a generation of it. Yeah. So this is a major departure. It may, unfortunately, be love. And he is going to have to cease, desist, never admit it. And spend the next year doing signs of strength and upping the public profile of his marriage and the kids. It may be love, meaning that they think that he may be in love with it with Rose. I think that's what she's saying because he would because he knows he knows better, and he wouldn't just have a wanton affair. Yeah. So if he has, he fell out of love with Kate. That's sad. I mean, you can love multiple people at at one time. Not if you're in the royal family, though. Well, you're not supposed to. So um, it's she says, it's just so Charles of him. Yeah. Who's Charles? His dad? Dad. Okay. Hannah. This is why I need you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Someone in their very tight circle, one of the few families that Kate can become really friendly with and with someone indiscreet enough to blow the whistle or perhaps. It sounds like this. This woman is an idiot. Yes. Uh, or per- perhaps he just had tremendously bad spy craft, but the word is absolutely that Rose talked. Come on. The British tabloids are dipping their toes into the story, but slowly and carefully, while the Americans can just run riot with it. I haven't seen it anywhere, though. I mean, yeah, I don't know. So she says, what to look for? A real push by Clarence House to focus on Megan and Harry as new parents. And they did just get a new Instagram account. Oh. They just got their own Instagram account. Oh, there you go. That's official. And everybody's like, oh, my God, go follow it. Like, look at them. Get updates from the Sussexes. And it's like, ooh. There you are. That's interesting. Um, Also look for an increase in William and Kate doing more events. Hmm. Apparently they've been yelled at uh, for not doing their share. 
What? Yeah. Interesting. And so now they're going to do more together, or that's what we're supposed to look for. And there's likely to be a general increase in photo and story access to bribe the tabloids. And Ooh. because this cannot be a story, not with public admissions, the Chumleys will have to play nice with William and Kate when they attend mandatory functions. Kate is going to have to do cheek kisses with Rose, and she's just going to have to tough it out. Uh. Yeah. This is why I would be so poorly cut out for that type of life. I can't even imagine, dude. But I truly do believe that the frostiness between the Cambridges and Meghan and Harry have been about this situation, and Harry is extremely pissed about it. He's not the sharpest, but I believe he genuinely worships Meghan. I mean... Yeah. And he has talked so much about the mental toll of growing up being teased at school about his dad and mom's affairs, their terrible divorce, etc., even before the tragedy of her death. Yes, and he's, because everybody's like, Harry's not Charles' son. Yeah. And he's famously into being an uncle to William and Kate's kids. Um, Those kids are fucking cute. Which <laughs> may be Pollyannish of me, but I was always skeptical that Megan was getting the blame for a rift between the brothers. Megan has performed her duties beautifully during this pregnancy. She's got no obvious reason to have beef with Kate. And um, anyway, that's my take. More to follow as the story develops. I'm very mad at Wills. <laughs> I know. That was a little longer thread than I remembered it being. However, I think it's very interesting because it's like so much of it. I don't even really know what the point is of the royal family anymore anyway. And so this feels like a lot of pomp and circumstance and a lot of like. They're, they're figureheads. They're, they're figureheads. Symbols. Yeah. They're symbols more than anything else. And so they take these things very, very seriously, even though at this point. It won't put their like government in turmoil. Yeah. They really are just figureheads, and so it is very interesting. I mean, they are, like, diplomatic heads, basically. Okay, yeah, that's fair. But that's my story. That's wild. For the day. Yeah. Which, because you haven't seen it in any news outlets, and neither have I, I thought it was worth sharing. Well, look, now we're part of the problem. Yep. Now Clarence House is going to come down on us with the ah! fire of a thousand suns. Oh, no. And they'll be like, how dare you? And like, we don't make money doing this. Not really. Also, we'll say we're American. Deal with it. Megan's one of us. <gasps> one Not of anymore. us. One of us. She will always be in my heart. Nope. She jumps ship. She's very American. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. You don't have any <laughs> real opinions about this, so you can't give me shit about mine. It's true. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Tell me. Okay, so interestingly, because we're usually so on the same wavelength somehow, mm -hmm. um, we were not this week. 
That's um. fair. That's fine. <laughs> My sources today are um, a really wonderful article written by Michael Harriet for The Root, um, AnalogRevolution.com, NPR, SplinterNewsBiography.com, The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ooh. and Rolling Stone. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. So here we go. There is a constant cultural obsession with the father and grandfather and godfather of rock and roll. The patriarchal nature of our society has the musical historian ignoring even entertaining the idea that women have been involved in the formation of music, either in sound or subculture. It's important to push back against whitewashing and recognize that there existed rock and roll roots prior to Elvis Presley. Any cursory Google search will list the names Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, and Jerry Lee Lewis, which still leaves something to be desired. Rosetta Tharp was born more than 100 years ago, March 20th, 1915, and she could play the rock and roll guitar better than anyone before anyone. I've never even heard this name, I don't think. No. <clears throat> Invent, a verb, to create or design something that has not existed before. It's as simple as this. What we know as rock and roll did not exist before Sister Rosetta Tharp. Holy she shit. Are you telling me that a woman invented rock and roll? Yes, I am. <gasps> she came before Elvis and Johnny Cash. She preceded Chuck Berry oh and Little God. Richard. You blew my fucking mind just now. Yeah, you, you wait. Oh, God. When most music historians are asked who invented this class of music, many will name one of the previously mentioned rock stars. The most respectful and thoughtful will say it was a combination of these men. But every single one of these men, including Little Richard, will tell you that the first person from whom they heard the sound with which we've become familiar was Rosetta Tharp. In his induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Johnny Cash said that she was his favorite singer growing up. Little Richard called her his greatest influence. Chuck Berry said that his entire career was just one long Rosetta Tharp impersonation. They've said, they literally said yeah. these things mm -hmm. and we still have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been like almost completely erased from music history. That's insane. <clears throat> yeah. A PBS documentary on her life called her the godmother of rock and roll. She is still called the forgotten mother of the genre and the most influential artist ever. Oh, my God. Maybe she's overlooked because she was technically a gospel singer because rock and roll didn't exist yet. Maybe her blackness has something to do with the fact that she wasn't uh, in inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until 2017. What? Or her queerness. Or the fact that she was a woman. Oh, my God. There's some... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Holy shit. Music authorities argue about a handful of songs recorded between 1946 and 1952 when discussing what might be considered the first rock and roll song ever. The most popular of which is Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats, which was recorded in 1952. <clears throat> okay. So, on October 31st, 1938, when Elvis was three years old, when Chuck Berry was 12, when Little Richard, who is rarely disputed when he says he invented rock and roll, was mm. six years old, and when Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats were still kittens, Sister Rosetta <laughs> Tharp recorded That's All. So I'm going to play you part of it. Please, please do. 1938. Like the first, like arguably uh, rock and roll song. 1952 is what music historians say. But God damn. Then she recorded this in 1938. <clears throat> oh my god. 
1938. Can you believe it? I am speechless. You can hear it. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's so obvious. It's so clear. Yeah. God damn. That was 1938 that she recorded that song for the first time. 1938. When Elvis was three. Her first big hit, in fact, was the transformed spiritual Rock Me, recorded with her soaring held notes and sexy growls. And when the latter-day king of rock and roll, Elvis, was still a toddler, Tharp would later hire grand old Opry stars, the Jordanaires, to back her years before they began working for Presley, who was her unabashed fan. Elvis loved Sister Rosetta, recalled the Jordanaires' Gordon Stoker, especially her incredible guitar style. That's what really attracted Elvis, her pickin'. He liked her singing, but he liked that pickin' first because it was so different. Yeah. Tharp was an early influence on other early rockers, too, including Chuck Berry. Later ones took note as well. Sister Rosetta Tharp was anything but ordinary and plain, said Bob Dylan on his theme time radio hour show. She was a big, good-looking woman and divine, not to mention sublime and splendid. She was a powerful force of nature, a guitar-playing, singing evangelist. More recently, reigning country queen Miranda Lambert has been seen opening shows with an iconic clip of her performing. Music authorities are a motherfucking lie. Once more, for the people in the back, Sister Rosetta Tharp invented rock and roll. Gripe all you like about deserving acts overlooked by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but no artist has been more overdue for recognition than her, whose induction into the Hall's Influences category was announced. She was a queer black woman from Arkansas who shredded on electric guitar, belted praises to both God and secular pleasures, and broke the color line touring with white singers. She was gospel's first superstar, and she most assuredly rocked. Rosetta Newbin was born in 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. She started playing guitar and singing by the age of four. By the age of six, she joined her mother as a regular performer in a traveling evangelical troupe. She was performing in churches all around the South. She was heavily influenced by her mother, whose uh, name was Katie Bell Newbin. She was a singer, a mandolin player, an evangelist, and a preacher for the Church of God in Christ. A preacher? Mm-hmm. The Church of God in Christ was founded by a black Baptist bishop named Charles Mason. Mason was known to encourage rhythmic expression, dancing and praise, and allowing women to preach in church. Damn. Mm-hmm. So she really, like, grew up performing, but also with a very different understanding of, like, what women were allowed to do in church. So it would seem. That's cool. Yeah. So in the mid-1920s, she and her mother moved to Chicago, um, where they continued to perform religious concerts for that same church, Church of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know anything. On 40th Street, while occasionally traveling to perform at the church conventions throughout the country. As a result... Tharp developed considerable fame by the 1930s as a musical prodigy, standing out in an era when prominent black female guitarists remained very rare. Blues legend Memphis Minnie was the only such performer to enjoy national fame at the time. Although Mm. Tharp's distinctive voice and unconventional style attracted fans, it was still the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. Female guitarists were rare. Even more so was a musician who pursued both religious and secular themes, a fact that alarmed the gospel community. Yes, I could see that. Uh-huh. But Rosetta, young and innovative, was determined to keep experimenting with her sound. 
1934, at the age of 19, she married a, a Church of God in Christ preacher named Thomas Thorpe, who had accompanied her and her mother on many of their tours. Uh, the marriage didn't last very long, but she decided to incorporate a version of her first husband's surname into her stage name, Sister Rosetta Tharp, which she would use for the rest of her career. Hmm. God, that's cool. Mm. And she really, I mean, she was famous. Yeah, you'll you'll see just how famous. I mean, it's like insane. Yeah. It's crazy to me that she was, she because she was clearly famous enough to like hire Grand Ole Opry like performers to perform with her. That's a big deal. So that's astounding to me that somehow that was buried somehow that was like smothered Mm -hmm. yeah um during a time when the idea of a guitar playing woman was non-existent not only did rosetta tharp erase this line by mastering the symbol of musical masculinity but her blend of gospel and secular music was seen as earth shattering her willingness to play god's music in the devil's den of nightclubs (laughs) and music halls caused an uproar Tharp's lyrics unabashedly flirted with her openness of love and sexuality, an approach that left her gospel audience speechless. In 1938, she moved to New York, where she began playing with some of the biggest bands in the country, including Duke Ellington's band. By the time she was 23, she had a recording contract and recorded Decca Records' first gospel songs. When people heard her music, she became an overnight sensation, and her music became the first gospel music to ever top Billboard's quote unquote race charts an accomplishment she achieved several times during her career wait billboard charts were segregated so it would seem oh my fucking god (laughs) jesus christ all right people often commented that she quote played like a man to which (laughs) to which tharp often replied can't no man play like me i play better than a man Fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you've mastered an instrument means you play like a man. Yeah. Well, Come it's an instrument that is typically seen as, as masculine. And even today. No, it's true. I, I mean. It just every single white dude in college just buys an acoustic guitar as a centerpiece for their home that they can pick out two chords and seduce people with it. I know. I, don't, I know. Still. Yeah. Um, on December 23rd, 1938, she performed in John Hammond's famous Spirituals to Swing concert at Carnegie Hall. Her performance was controversial and revolutionary in several aspects, performing gospel music in front of secular audiences and alongside blues and jazz musicians was highly unusual. And within conservative religious circles, the mere fact of a woman performing guitar music was frowned upon. What? what uh, I don't know. Jesus Christ, people. Especially electric guitar, which was really new. Only men have fingers that can play this instrument. I like why is why is a guitar gendered? This is one of the things about doing this podcast that really like I have become more and more baffled by some of these things because there are so many things that we have gendered for, for no, no reason. reason. Yeah. It's a fucking guitar. And and of course like a violin is not seen as a masculine instrument. That's another string instrument. That's true. I know. Like the flute, that's very feminine if you ask. And why? And why? Right, exactly. Bizarre. I know cellos for a long time were seen as masculine because you have to put them between your legs to play them. So (laughs) having a woman have this giant instrument in between her legs was seen as somehow sexual, which is ridiculous. So bananas, man. Anyway. God. Um, Musically, her unique guitar style blended melody-driven urban blues with traditional folk arrangements and incorporated a pulsating swing sound that is one of the first clear precursors of rock and roll, which you heard. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
It the, is because it, you can hear the you can hear the blues. Yep. Like you can hear you some can, bluegrass, and there's like some jazz elements. There's some jazz yeah. elements, mm-hmm. but it is different. It's it is like very clearly her own thing. Yep. Um, this performance at Carnegie Hall shocked and awed the audience. Later, she gained even more notoriety Notoriety. by performing regularly with jazz legend Cab Calloway at Harlem's famous Cotton Club. Oh, Cotton Club. Mm -hmm. As a young black woman working within a heavily male-dominated industry in the 1940s, Tharp wasn't shy about rattling conventions. She collaborated with heavy-hitting artists of the time. In 1941, she began traveling widely with the Lucky Millinder Orchestra, Hmm. a notable swing band, and recorded the likes of I Want a Tall Skinny Papa with them. (laughs) She even teamed up with the aforementioned Jordanaires, and the Jordanaires were all white. Uh, And then they began performing for mixed audiences. Despite her fame, and this Mm. is a common theme we've seen in our podcast specifically, institutional racism in the mid-1940s was rampant. Oh, On tour, all restaurants and hotels were still segregated, so she slept on buses. What the While the white musicians that she collaborated with had hotels. Mm -hmm. She would have to go around the back end of restaurants to pick up food because they wouldn't let her in the front door. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. By the time she was 30, which is our age for now, it's oh. almost your birthday. Oh, God. Sister Rosetta Tharp had survived two marriages oh. and various relationships with both women and men. Mm. Although she was open about her sexuality within the industry, she kept the secret from the public because no yeah. fucking duh. Um, after meeting gospel singer Marie Knight in 1946, the two entered into a sexual and romantic relationship and lived openly in that relationship for years. Damn, dude. What year did you say? 1946. Whoa. And they broke up in 1951. Damn. hmm Yeah. The duo began, oh but they also worked together musically. They toured by themselves along with their band and started taking control of their own business decisions. Oh, they, what? You know, they toured, collaborated, and performed as two queer black women in a relationship in the 40s. It was a radical act. Holy fucking shit. So, yeah, they, they broke up. Uh, their romantic relationship ended in 1951. And then that same year, Rosetta married Russell Morrison, who was her third husband. And he was also her manager. Okay. <laughs> Convenient. So you were talking about just how famous she was. Mm-hmm. She got married to this man on July 3rd, 1951. It was held at Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. and was attended by 25,000 paying audience members, featured a gospel performance by Rosetta Tharp in her wedding dress, and finished with a massive fireworks display. Hello. Yes. That is a fucking 25, wedding. 25,000 oh paying guests. I, I can't even... Like picture she this. was massively famous, and that's like if Ariana Grande got married in a stadium. That is exactly yes. That is exactly what that's like. And then like Except- s- turns around and starts singing for the crowd who paid to be there in the wedding dress. In in your wedding dress, mm-hmm. man. Oh my god, the image of that is so like that's fucking iconic, right? Um, twenty five thousand fucking people paying guests. I'm sure there were people that they invited, like family and shit. <laughs> But they had 25,000 paying guests. People who wanted to have that that 
singular experience of seeing Going Rosetta. Going to Sister Rosetta Tharp's wedding. Uh-huh. Her third wedding. <laughs> her third wedding. The only one that she performed in her wedding dress, though. So it would seem. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she performed at the others, but they were just smaller <laughs> affairs, so nobody knows. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um. So, but she, so she and Marie Knight were obviously broken up at this time, but they still collaborated musically. Mm. And uh, in 1953, they deviated from the gospel genre to record a secular blues album. It was apparently a disastrous experiment. Oh, no. Not only was the album a commercial failure, it earned both artists widespread condemnation from the religious community that provided their most loyal fan base. (sighs) Sing what we want you to sing. Right. Tharp and Knight parted ways shortly after the album's release, and neither ever recovered from their previous popularity. Oh, no. Um, It was then that young white men started taking over the rock and roll scene and experimenting further with the sounds that she had forged. (sighs) God damn it. So then we enter the 60s. In 1964, as the folk revival was cresting, she was booked for the folk blues and gospel caravan tour in England. She played a famous gig in an abandoned railroad station that was broadcast nationwide. Oh, that's... It's 1964. She's like in her 50s. And that's kind of revolutionary, the idea of broadcasting something live out of a venue that is not a studio. It's not a venue. And it was a cold and rainy day. Um, raining. It was raining. And she plays electric guitar. Um, in a time where they're, I'm sure they have some sort of fail safes now because I know that Prince played... Purple rain in the rain at the Super Bowl, but like back then they certainly didn't. Certainly not. Yeah. So, but she so she showed up. She got out of a horse-drawn carriage, like royalty, strode across the wet platform, picked up her electric guitar, plugged in, and played "Didn't It Rain." Electrical shock risk apparently be damned. (laughs) Soloing and singing her heart out in front of a crowd of young British people. This woman is drama. I fucking love it. I'm sure there are a lot of young English guys who picked up electric guitars after getting a look at her, Bob Dylan said. Mm-hmm. 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 Though she had a much lower profile during these years, she enjoyed several later career highlights, including an acclaimed 1960 performance with James Cleveland at the Apollo in Harlem and a 1967 performance at the Newport Jazz Festival, which is still a big deal. Yes. Um, while on a European blues tour with Muddy Waters in 1970, hmm. uh, she suddenly fell ill and returned to the U.S. Um, she suffered a stroke shortly after her return and due to complications from diabetes, had to have a leg amputated. Oh, God. Despite her health woes, though, she continued to perform regularly for several more years. In October 1973, she suffered a second stroke and passed away days later oh. um, on October 9th, 1973, at the age of 58. In Philadelphia. God damn. Her epitaph reads, quote, she would sing until you cried and then she would sing until you danced for joy. She helped to keep the church alive and the saints rejoicing. Sister Rosetta Tharp was not an unknown hidden little secret. She was a huge, huge star. Yet somehow she has nearly been erased from the history of music. Rock and roll has a diverse history full of diverse people. Understandably, the narrative of cisgender, heterosexual, white, and mostly secular does not always have room for folks like Sister Rosetta Tharp, but that doesn't change the fact that her music had a massive impact. She was a queer, Christian, black woman from the South who played blues, gospel, and rock and roll. Most reasonable music historians will tell you one person shouldn't receive credit for an entire genre. While it's true that not every single musician who ever played rock and roll was inspired by Rosetta Tharp, 
It's also true that there's not a single rock musician playing today doing something that Rosetta Tharp wasn't doing 80 years ago. She did it first. That's what invent means. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I feel like that's my new normal for this show. At the end of every episode, I just almost cry. I, I, I'm speechless because I've never heard her fucking name. Mm-hmm. It's wild to me. Mm-hmm. That we, I, we I all found grew out up about with her, Elvis. Yeah, because I, I and I, I've known forever that Elvis played and cribbed a lot of songs that were originally recorded by black artists and a lot by by black female artists like hound dog was written by a black woman and when you realize that it's a song written by a woman it makes so much more sense yes yes like i mean i i love elvis's version of hound dog it's great but what does it mean to him but it means nothing yeah (laughs) unless you like unless you want to make it gay yeah yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that's how it was received at the time, and I don't think that's how Elvis meant it. Uh-uh. And what's extremely wild to me is I realized my own sort of experience in, in just the images that I receive about rock and roll, how jarring it was for me the first time I watched a video of her to see a middle-aged, big, black woman playing electric guitar. I was like, wow, this is unique. I haven't seen much of this ever. Mm-hmm. And even today, I mean, I know that episode of the new season of Queer Eye with the the, the young black lesbian mm-hmm. who she says pe- like she's accused of of being too quote unquote white for liking rock music. Yeah, rock music was invented by a black woman, <laughs> so they can fuck right off. <laughs> like it's it's very black to like rock music, apparently. I mean, most yeah. most music. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like. To to go Jazz, back to the blues, rock yeah so there's, musical theater mu- I mean yes <laughs> well, all of that so much of that music comes from a a time and a struggle that like white people didn't have no and so we had no we really have no claim over that that and not to disparage like all of the extremely talented prodigious white rock musicians that have come since they were inspired by her. Sure, yeah. That's not to say that, that they can't be good musicians or they can't not. have pioneered certain things, but like... But they didn't make it. Yeah. It's not they helped from shape, their history. Maybe. Yeah. And so the country music thing that, that has been going on, yeah. in fact, I probably should have maybe read that, but there's an artist, a black artist, who made it onto the country... Um, the Billboard country chart, whatever mm. that is, and they took him off because it his song wasn't country enough. Cool. And cool, 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 cool. When you really look at it, I mean, Taylor Swift writes pop music and gets onto the country charts all the fucking time. Like yeah. well, she doesn't she, write country because she started writing more country, but she's since no, her music is no longer country music, and it hasn't been for a long time. No. Even like Shania Twain, arguably, was a lot more pop when she <laughs> Honestly, was on the fucking country, country list. Honestly, most country music these days is pop country. Yeah, <laughs> especially and the stuff on the charts. So, so. A lot of what's been talked about since he was since his song was removed from the charts is like why because country music comes from a lot of black folk music tradition yeah well duh duh to us but clearly not to the people like commandeering these charts 
Well, no, but also, Hannah, like, country music has, like, taken on, since since 9-11, has taken on a very distinctly white, white conservative bent. Quote, patriotic. Yes, which that's not what it fucking was. Nope. Not even in Johnny Cash's time. It Like, country music is supposed to be, like, folky, like, music, you know, working man, like, troubles, things like that. Yeah. And it's... Like, obviously, then when the Dixie Chicks tried to, they're like, no, you aren't allowed to be in the, and like, fuck you. And it's like, what? They're allowed to have opinions. Yeah. They're still country musicians. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. Yeah, but country music is very, very predominantly white for no reason. But it makes sense yeah. that it wouldn't be particularly welcoming. Right. And it's, <laughs> uh, so just for a little bit more context, um, this, this article is in Washington Post, and it, the headline is, Billboard said, Lil Nas X's. Lil Nas X, who I don't know who that is, but his old town, his song Old Town Road apparently wasn't country enough. However, <laughs> apparently he remixed it with Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, yeah. I heard about this, too. So I'm going to read just a little Billy bit Ray of Billy Ray Cyrus was like, well, fuck this. Let me help. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the definition of, quote, real country music often sparks fierce debate. In the last two weeks, it ignited a controversy. It all started in December when 19-year-old Atlanta rapper Lil Nas X released Old Town Road, which his producer described as country trap. And his label, oh. yeah, his label called a country-inspired rap track. Um, incorporating banjo, hip hop, and sampling Nine Inch Nails, Thirty Four Ghosts, Five. That sounds really cool. Um, yeah. It arrived with a music video featuring cowboys in the Wild West. The song took what? off on YouTube and SoundCloud and fueled a popular meme on the app TikTok. By late February, it was number one on Spotify's viral fifty playlist, and it soon topped it soon topped the iTunes country chart. And um, the success sparked a bidding war among record labels, and he landed a deal with Sony Sony Music Columbia Records. Um, and in March, Old Town Road went mainstream as it broke into the all-genre Billboard Hot 100 at number 83. Um, and so that's when the controversy began. In late March, Rolling Stone published a feature about how Old Town Road became a viral hit, supporting reporting that Billboard had quietly removed the song from the Hot Country chart and informed uh, Lil Nas X's label that his inclusion on the ranking was a mistake. Uh. Billboard told Rolling Stone, while Old Town Road incorporates references to country, it does not embrace enough elements of today's country music to chart in its current version. What does that mean? So uh, it goes on, blah, blah, blah. But on Thursday night, the situation took another twist when Lil Nas X released a remixed version of Old Town Road with Billy Ray Cyrus. Good for him for like, I feel like all he did was was show how fucking dumb that whole controversy is because he didn't Uh, change anything about the song no he didn't change the no he didn't change the sound he like there's still plenty of rapping in there all he did was lend his voice to the same sound and the same lyrics and the same rapping that was already in there yeah he's supplemental to the that's literally all he did and now it's country enough i mean it's it's basically just 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 no, it's just shining a light on going, wait, what about this wasn't country? Oh, yeah. he's black? That's it? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it's doing. Because there's, there's smart. plenty of country songs that have Sounds. elements of this. Yeah. 
I didn't want to. Like I didn't want to detract from Rosetta. But no, it is. It's fascinating that that happened this week, and and we're talking about her because it, it because that whole debate that Billboard had about his song is basically erasing the history of that well, because people music. have that debate about whether or not Rosetta Tharp played rock and roll because they're like, no, it's gospel, and it's like, it really just rock and, isn't. <laughs> rock and roll didn't exist, so it, she's her own thing, and then quote-unquote rock and roll artists all listen to her yeah yes so in that way she invented it yes i think that was fucking fabulous yeah thank you i i am in such awe i had no idea that we were missing such like a crucial it's a missing piece and i think it's great that she was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2017 and i've you know found plenty of source like npr and pbs and biography and rolling stone like all these people are talking about her and when they're talking about her none of them are erasing the fact that she's queer none of them are and they're all (sighs) basically saying what the fuck guys yeah let's talk about her yeah because you, tr- she was almost erased from the history of rock and roll, and it's insane. And so oh, we, yeah, you know, they're making sure that she doesn't get erased. Thank God. Yeah. Anyway, I I feel like I'm gonna need some time to think <laughs> and reflect now. <laughs> oh my God! Thank you. Yeah, someone else posted. They were like, "What other musical influences have?" have been basically erased that we don't know about and I'm like I'm curious to know and I was like yeah fuck me too of, of course I mean that's kind of the nature of music in general is that it's it tends to be very collaborative but when you can yeah. so specifically pinpoint with her 1938 uh, yeah like more than a decade before the f- quote-unquote first Official mm-hmm. rock song that you can qualify as a rock song. She was recording music that was like a bluesy rock. Yep. Come on. Yep. Selling out stadiums. For her wedding? For her fucking wedding to play this music that she invented. I mean, yeah. that's, it's. Because she, she wasn't singing pure gospel. She took gospel music and made it her own. Yeah. She took and, a little bit of gospel, took a little bit of bluegrass, took a little bit of yes. blues. Oh. Yeah. Do you want some on this day? I do. <laughs> Okay, so double check this. I know surely one of these days I'm gonna do it for the wrong day. I don't, <laughs> you know. I'm I double check every time that it's gonna be like, oh, Tuesday, and people who are listening are like, that's not what today Wait, is. What are you talking about? But I'm, I think I'm correct this time. So April 10th is the when this episode's dropping. Mm, so mm, mm. April 10th, 1606, mm. Virginia Company of London is established by royal charter of James the First of England with the purpose of establishing colonial settlements in North America. Ooh, yay, colonialism. But it's a big thing that shapes a lot of history. Very true. Um, 1866, the ASPCA is founded oh. in New York City by Henry Berg. Uh, I think they have a, a drunk history episode about they him. They do. Which I love. Yes, they sure do. But that was today. Today. Yep, in 1866. Love it. Long ass time ago. Um, April 10th, 1912. RMS Titanic sets sail from Southampton, England on her maiden and only voyage. Oh, no. You and your big ships. Your big sinking ships. Yep. 1925, April 10th, The Great Gatsby is first published in New York City by Charles Scribner's Sons. Oh. 
very, very fascinating. For all you high schoolers who are reading The Great Gatsby. <laughs> um, there you go. April 10th, 1970. Speaking of rock and roll and pop and shit, uh, Paul McCartney announces he's leaving the Beatles for personal and professional reasons. Oh, yeah. That was a big day. Yeah, man. A lot of hearts were broken. Yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have some fun birthdays. So happy birthday to David Harbour. David Harbour? Yeah, who's in Stranger Things <laughs> and is amazing. And he's going to be Hellboy. I'm oddly attracted to him. Why is it oddly? I don't know. He's handsome. Okay. Well, he's then a it's sexy not a guy. All right. Yeah. There it is. No, That's right. why. Uh, happy birthday, Mandy Moore. Oh, Mandy. Which it's funny because Wikipedia described her as English, Irish, Russian American singer, songwriter, and actress. And what? I was like, can you can just say American? <laughs> like American is fine, thank English, you. English, Irish, Russian, American. Jesus like, Christ! What the fuck? I don't think she is like as a proud English, Irish, Russian American. I've never heard that come out of her mouth. No, no. But I love Mandy Moore. Yeah. Um, happy birthday! I don't know if you knew that you guys are literally the same age. My days. Uh, uh, Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel was born six days before you were. <laughs> oh, I love him so much. He's great. And I really, he's been fantastic in uh, uh, the most recent season of uh, uh, Silicon Valley. He's so funny. I love that he's having a resurgence in his career, but he's like a completely new type. He, I think, yeah, he probably struggled f- with that for a long time, especially being a child star, but mm-hmm. also being so like adorable. And people, I think, expected him to grow up and be a heartthrob. You know yeah, what that, I mean? Most, I feel like most child stars don't. Like that look, that like wide-eyed, sort of really cutesy sort of face doesn't always translate into like drop-dead, model-esque, statuesque people. Right. Most child stars are kind of funny looking as adults. Like handsome and beautiful, but but they, it's like their child face in a weird, like Mara Wilson. Like she's gorgeous, but she, you know, she's quirky gorgeous. Macaulay Culkin, super weird looking guy. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, not unattractive. Yeah. But Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, I don't know. I think they expected him to do the Jonathan Taylor Thomas thing. Oh, well, yeah. Jonathan Taylor Thomas did grow up to be very handsome. He did. <sighs> and I know, I, I remember when Haley my Joel. My first celebrity oh. crush that was my age. <laughs> was Jonathan. Yeah. That, oh, I yeah. Mean, JTT. Yeah. Hell yeah. That was true of. Like most girls our age, I Wild think. Wild America uh, with Devin Sawa, too? <laughs> oh, Devin Sawa Come was on. mine. Devin Sawa was mine, for sure. Come oh. the fuck on. Those blonde boy band looking motherfuckers. And fucking John Taylor Thomas is like 5'6", and he still looks great. He looks great. So does Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa does still look good. He also has a lot of tattoos now, which I'm uh, just like, Oh, mm. that's a thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, And then deaths, Um, I just felt like it was appropriate given... Um, the subject matter uh, musician Little Eva who was a black American singer died in 2003 on this day okay anyway dude so much thank you you're welcome wow (laughs) this was I feel like we've been on a streak of really good we're on fire episodes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I think I mean all our episodes are good but like they are I I mean when we record them I'm always like hands on face like tell me more <laughs> all right but uh, do That's you have cool. something you're excited about this week um i'm gonna i'm gonna go with with my birthday because hell yeah my next episode is technically um closer to my birthday but we're gonna be talking about what you're excited about at that point yeah so 
I'm excited for my birthday. I mean, I'm also a little wary of my birthday because I'm always wary of my birthday. But You're weird. I'm weird that way. But I'm also just like, yay, it's spring. It's getting warmer. And my birthday's coming up. <laughs> yeah, we both have a, a season change birthdays. We do. Yours is when is springy and mine is yeah. fall, which everybody, those are my two favorite seasons. Me too. Yeah. I have to say, though, like... I, in Colorado, when we lived in Colorado, I did not like having an April birthday because I always had a blizzard on my birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every fucking year, there was some freak crazy blizzard. And I couldn't celebrate my 21st birthday with more than two people because no one could come because there was a blizzard. Oh, my God. Um, And then every fucking birthday after that, there's just like these crazy storms. But in New York... It starts to get warm. The, you know, magnolias bloom and yeah, the everything air smells is, really fresh. Yeah. So even in New York. Even in New York. So I can finally say spring is one of my favorite seasons. And my birthday is like part of actual spring. Speaking of which, a beautiful spring breeze is like yeah. blowing through the window. It's coming through the window. It's amazing. So I'm just, yeah, I'm excited about that. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, man. All right. And on that note, on that note, you can find us on social media. Yep. At GWBB podcast, pretty on much everywhere. Everywhere. We've got a Patreon, which you will have heard a little, you know, insert, insert about, for. Um, which we're we are getting more patrons all the time, mm-hmm. and it's really exciting, and we love it. Yeah, it's fa- fantastic. You it guys makes us are awesome. feel very validated. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to feel validated. Right. You know what else validates us? Um, reviews. On iTunes. Yep. Those are great. Rates, reviews. And if you are not interested in being a monthly patron, we do still have a Ko-Fi. Yes. Um, which is uh, ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So, and so you can do a one-time donation if you're less comfortable doing it monthly and signing up for some sort of subscription. Um, but you yeah. still want to be like, hey. Yeah, show us some love. Like what you do. <laughs> it helps us. I mean, every every little bit helps us, and Truly. we're we're putting it towards hosting and things like that. And um, oh, actually, that does remind me, our pins are ordered, and we are going to be getting them to you guys. Hashtag pin update. Pin update. Yeah. So you you will be hearing from us very soon with um, questions about. I know we say that address. almost every week, but it, this I know. time they they are ordered and on their way. Yeah. So they will be here. Um, they just obviously have to get made and that's a process because they're fucking cool pins i'm so excited for mine i'm gonna put mine right on my backpack yes you are yeah yes you are and um otherwise i think that's probably it for updates so see you next time till next week guys peace out witches bye to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. 
<laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah word of mouth also good yeah (laughs) our website is gwbbpodcast.com you can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron good witches bad bitches is powered by moon bounce